I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 80. This episode is part of two episodes where we're talking to architect Claire Nash. Both this episode and episode 81 uh, were recorded in the same session and focus on the two books that Claire has written. This first episode is about her book, An Architect's Guide to Achieving a Work-Life Balance. And episode 81 is focused around her book, Contemporary Vernacular Design, How British Housing Can Rediscover Its Soul. Quickly, before this episode, I just want to take a quick moment to say a huge thank you to Elizabeth Roman and Shannon Berry, both of who are signed up as building sustainability superheroes on our patreon site they've both pledged at the five pound level which means i will be sending them a hand carved wooden spoon hand carved by me this little batch at the moment is uh, i'm carving some birch which uh, actually came from a tree that was just behind my house um one of its uh, kind of larger limbs had to be taken down so yeah, it's a very very connected to uh, to my house and and the place I am. So hopefully that's a nice thing to receive. I also want to say a big thank you to Eleanor, uh, who has upgraded to the same five pound level. So uh, thank you to all three wonderful people. Uh, you really do help this podcast exist. Okay, I haven't got too much to say. My brain is somewhat mushy at the moment. Um, I do just want to say that there is a slightly clunky uh, swap when we start talking a little bit too far down the road of talking about the contemporary vernacular design book. Um, And there's a little swerve as we we pull it back into this book. If you're disappointed by that, then just listen to episode 81 
All right, that's it. I'm back at the end. Enjoy Claire Nash. Okay, so I'm Claire Nash and I run Claire Nash Architecture, which is an eco-architecture firm. Uh, There's nine of us now. I've also written a couple of books, um, Contemporary Vernacular Design, How British Housing Can Rediscover Its Soul is one, and the other one is uh, Design Your Life, An Architect's Guide to Work-Life Balance. And where are you based? Oxfordshire. I mean, I myself are based on the edge of border of Northamptonshire, Oxfordshire, but mm. I have a team all over Oxfordshire. Did I read that you're an all-female practice? We're not all-female. The uh, I think the first edition of the book says that, but that was quickly changed to... <laughs> Ah, right. That was a, okay. mis- a misprint. We're we're majority female, but by uh-huh. far, yeah. There's two blokes yeah. and seven women. <laughs> okay. And um, at, at one point, we were all female. It wasn't totally wrong. It's just it's changed. <laughs> right. Okay. And was was that in any way sort of by design? Not not particularly. It just just uh, how it happened. Yeah. The um, I suppose the way the practice operates, which is very flexible and remote working, and there's lots of support. Um, and I suppose because I'm a female leader that attracted other women, I, I would have men apply, but majority women. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ended up being the ones I chose were majority women also. And that, that worked. It's, it is a nice atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's just, um, it's a, it's a really nice place to work. Well, I, I was sort of went down a little bit of a, a research, uh, rabbit hole and was looking at the, the gender balance in architecture and was surprised to see that overall it's something like 70, 30 um, male to female. But then under 30, it was almost an exact 50-50 split. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I th- it's been like that for a while. And what tends to happen is people, uh, women drop off later on. Oh, of course. Yeah. So when they have children or um, before then even, so they might do um, their degree and then change their mind during work experience or... Uh, they'll get past that bit and then change their mind in the second lot of work experience or, or for, yeah, for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I know quite a few reasons. <laughs> Long hours culture uh, is one. Um, uh, definitely for um, parents, it's tricky. Uh, I mean, post-COVID, we're more open to flexible working. But before that, there was definitely a real culture of you have to be in the office. You have to always be available for collaboration or the next big idea. Uh, um, <clears throat> it just, wasn't seen as viable to be running a remote working practice like I do yeah so there, there, were, there was lots of that and and it was competitive and sometimes that's just gets you down after a while uh, I don't think it's changed that much I still think it's the same even with having had the younger 50 50 for a long time now mm. but I think it, it is getting better but only very slowly <laughs> yeah yeah yes I, well, I guess these things happen incrementally, don't they? Not not yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. And I also think it's, you know, new generations coming in with new ideas. The younger people are expecting to change jobs more frequently and they're more demanding of work-life balance. And, you know, when people are retiring who had the, the opposite view about how working life should be. So that's all changing too. And do you think, well, I mean, what we're going to talk about a lot is uh, is work-life balance. Um do, do you have it? Have you managed the, yeah. the mythical work-life balance? I, I think I do. Um, I wouldn't have said that for every week of my um, the past few years. Um, <laughs> but it definitely comes and goes, but the majority, I would say, would be yes. 
um, I have. Uh, and there are peak periods. I mean, sometimes you just have to, you know, like I've recently taken on quite three people and that's taken quite a lot of effort, the onboarding and keeping things going um, project-wise so that there, there isn't, you know, a, a drop in activity, that kind of thing. That that mm. takes a bit out of you. So uh, for the about one or two months, I felt like, oh, this is actually quite a stressful period. But now I'm out of that and things are way better and work-life balance is really good. So I, I think, yeah. And it's like if, if you're really clear on your purpose and why you're doing something, then it doesn't actually matter that much if you have short periods of, of stress and um, overwhelm and so on, because you know it will pass and you know the end result is really worth getting to. So I, I don't have any bother with that. But if it was all the time and um, I couldn't see the end of it and it wasn't aligned with my purpose, then I'd have, yeah, it wouldn't be the same. I think it's it's one of those things I've done stressful jobs and it, you sort of don't realise it's stressful and then it's just building and building and building and suddenly it's your, your entire life. And then there's usually some sort of breaking point, isn't there? Yes. Um, yeah. For me, I that was illness. Um, right. And um. It wasn't even a serious illness. It was just fatigue, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it worried me because I thought it could become chronic fatigue if I let it continue. Um, and I've always been a high energy person and that disappeared totally. And also I wasn't able to deliver the work quality that I wanted to. And it just came about from, I did really well on blogging and lots of work came in and then I stupidly took all of it <laughs> because I, <laughs> I had started in a recession and was like, oh, this might not happen again. Um, and then just couldn't do it all. Um, so I, I was forced into taking on my first member of staff, which I was worried about because I thought I'm not necessarily going to be good at managing people. But um, but actually that was that worked really well That uh, with that first. Uh, she was a student because I used to teach at Oxford Brooks, where I still do occasionally. And um, I thought, well, this is a test. Uh, she was planning to... Uh, go and work in Australia um, six months later. So I thought, well, I'll try it out. And um, if it doesn't work, it's only six months. Um, but it worked. And so when she left, I replaced her with two new people. And that worked. And it, it was very much learning by doing. But yes, uh, so I learned the hard way about um, work-life balance and how important it is. Because, But essentially, uh, somebody termed it as once. If you run your own business, you are the golden goose. And if you're not well, then... It, it can't produce any golden eggs <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> lovely golden building eggs yeah yeah exactly so i'm kind of interested in that um what's the, the sort of story leading up to that so i i think i read somewhere that you were in uh larger practices is that right yeah yeah so I'm, i worked in a few different practices before and um one abroad as well um and the longest one I stayed at was a multi, um, it did a wide range of works like schools, universities, prisons, uh, footballers' wives, sort of flats and, uh, you know, heritage stuff as well. It was really good for um, experience building and had quite a good work-life balance as well. They were quite good about non, not long hours culture. And, and usually it was 50-50 split, male-female too. Mm-hmm. Whereas previous offices I'd worked in, it had just been me and the receptionist who was female so that was nice and to be honest until I got there I didn't really know I didn't realize I was missing that because I was quite happy in my mostly male 
dominated environment. And then I, I went there and I thought, oh, this is nice, actually. <laughs> and it made me think about, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just nice to have a mixture. It's a nice atmosphere. Yeah, so that, that was that. And then um, I'd done a research proposal at the end of my um, part two architecture qualification where if I wrote a dissertation in three years after that, um, I could get, it would qualify as a master's. And um, it, I was really excited about it and it would involve travelling abroad, but I couldn't really see how I was going to manage that when I had a job. And then the recession happened and the practice I worked for wasn't really hit by the credit crunch because we didn't do that many houses. But um, when Cameron cut public spending, that hit all our public funded projects. So they did three rounds of redundancies and then they said, we'd like to avoid a fourth round. So if anybody wants to take six months off, then this would be a good time <laughs> to do it so we don't have to make a fourth round. So I thought, well, I've got my research that I really want to do and here's a good opportunity to do it. And I knew I was taking a risk, but um, uh, I just thought now or never. Uh, so I did that and I went abroad and I uh, worked on organic farms and did couch surfing to kind of pay, uh, help with funding my way around. And some of that was really useful because people I stayed with, like I found the, Ch- I did learn Spanish, but I found the Chilean dialect really hard because they speak so fast as well. And um, I stayed with, uh, on the working on organic farms thing, uh, there was a couple of architects were doing that. So they came and helped me translate, but also because they were interested themselves. <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, a, a fun thing to do. So that that was really beneficial. There were lots of little things that happened along the way, like um, couch surfing in China. There was a lady there who helped me translate uh, in interviews with a professor, and she helped me find some English students to help me with um some more translating and yeah it it was just a really nice experience of people helping each other and um learning languages and also just finding out that people all over the world have exactly the same problems <laughs> they all worry about their bills <laughs> they all mutter and groan about their neighbors <laughs> <laughs> the universals yeah and that was really reassuring and of course they, big cultural differences as well and seeing how those tied into architecture and how it expressed itself through people's homes. and But what I was mainly exploring was how vernacular technologies are inherently sustainable and how we could use those in um, modern sustainable building for homes. Uh, and this is what became your first book. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a research paper. And then I thought, oh, it's just going to sit on the shelf of the library and only other master's students will read it. And it seemed a bit of a shame. And um, I thought I could widen it as well because I only had, um, I think, three or four UK case studies. And then the rest were very international, you know, Papua New Guinea, China, South America and so on. And um, I thought there's there's a lot in Europe I could look at as well as more Mm -hmm. UK ones. And then it would be more useful uh, for practitioners in the UK and um, house builders and developers and so on. So, yeah, I approached um, the RIBA publishing arm about that and uh, and they said yes, which really surprised me because, <clears throat> um, so, yeah, then I had to go and do it, <laughs> all the extra case studies and so on. But it was, re- again, it was really fun, um, although also very daunting. I mean, knocking on somebody's door on a Friday evening when you know they just want a glass of wine, really, and not, <laughs> not to talk to somebody on the doorstep. And the first instinct is, oh, what are you selling me? Um, yeah. So I had to always start with, hello, I'm an architect, like really fast. 
<laughs> I'm not here to bother you. Well, I am a little, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was the only way to get the direct feedback about how well the architect's intentions um, or the housing association's intentions had, had worked for the actual use of the people in the yeah. homes themselves. And then did you go back to your that the, the practice where you'd taken six months off or was that...? Yeah, so when I came back, they had given my projects to other people which is fair enough <laughs> and um so I was easy to lose then and things weren't any better in 2011 the recession was still going full belt and um so yeah I lost my job but in a very friendly way and I still kept in contact with everybody and um uh, and some of them tried to get me job interviews which is very nice uh so I felt well supported and not actually that scared which is a bit weird but um yeah but it did take me a l- because it was the recession and you know colleagues of mine were sending out 100 CVs and getting zero interviews so I was even lucky to get job interviews and I, I got two and both times it was me and somebody else and they went for the other person in the end and I th- thought well hmm, maybe something is trying to tell me something and um maybe I should go freelance. And then I just happened to bump into somebody who'd offered me freelance work in the past on a train. And um, I didn't want it then because I was happy where I was, but I did want it now. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was a good offer anyway. It just wasn't the right time um, before. Uh, so I worked with him for a bit and another architect as well I did on a freelance basis. But I found, although the work was good and working with them was great, um, I found it quite isolating and also hard to manage workload because it would be like all or nothing um and there was there wasn't so much it wasn't very predictable um Mm. and I thought "Mm, this isn't very sustainable long term so I got a job as a dinner lady more or less I'd load up the van with the um the food from the the uh, tea room and then take it to the school and deal it out and things and that was really nice because I um, was working with other people in the middle of the day and then either mm. side I could focus on my business uh, which just started I mean weirdly the hurdle for me was paying for the insurance because I know you have to keep it going six years after the project's finished and um, I was worried like what if this doesn't work and I'm still paying for that insurance um, but in the end I just thought now I've got to give it a go so I put postcards in local shops and then work did start trickling in and and then I could do less and less dinner ladying <laughs> yeah um, and I, I sort of replaced that isolation with going to networking events um, where there would be a business speaker so I get to learn stuff and also meet other business owners and things and share tips and stuff and read loads of books about how to run a business at the same time and that network although that particular group has stopped um I still it's still really valuable to me yeah and I've got other networks as well so I just think it's so important to reach out to other people at those because it's it's such a lonely experience being a business owner and there's so much you can learn from other people but yeah I, I'd really recommend that if anybody else is thinking about doing that in in your architecture training is there any part of that which is teaching you how to run a business yeah a small bit you do a module per I don't know, per year, but not in the first year. Yeah, and I, I found it quite abstract because until you apply it to your own business, it doesn't really make sense. Hmm. And and a lot of the systems that they sort of advocated didn't really work for me anyway when I actually got round to it. That, um, I found the knowledge and things from business books were better uh, okay. and from other business owners too um, hmm. or people giving talks, that that kind of thing, because they, they were more sort of, I suppose they're 
kind of, they're more specialists because it's about business. It isn't about run, you know, architects trying to run business. It's bit just business. So I found that more useful. Yeah, and certain key books really changed everything, like the E Myth, which is all about uh, systems being the key to both profit and longevity of the business, and allowing you more creative time and all that stuff. But um, made a really big impression on me quite early, and and it meant that I could, I did develop systems from quite an early point. So when I took on my first member of staff, I every question she asked me, I turned into an Evernote, which is what I was using at the time, with sort of screenshots of how to do things and answers. And, and then I had a library of stuff. So when the next two came, they just could use that and the questions were less. And so each time I was building, building up all these systems. And uh, and, and then, of course, my team developed their own systems, <laughs> which are better than mine anyway. Uh, um, so it's just this constant sort of layering of more efficient operations that save you time and um, mean you can... Uh, make more money and have more creative time mm-hmm. and more time off <laughs> yeah the dream yeah what does your your life look like in terms of um your work-life balance like what does that what does having a good work-life balance mean in your world so i only work sort of 25 30 hour week and um yeah so i'll, I'll always fit in some form of exercise every day uh, it doesn't have to be particularly intense sometimes just a walk but um, I find um, uh, swimming is really good for my creative brain. Like I work really write better blogs after I swim and things like that. So I tend to um, see, uh, rather than seeing it as time off, I see it as an investment because my brain works better afterwards. That's a good way of, of retraining your brain, isn't it? It is, yeah. It makes a big difference. So I call them creativity breaks rather than um, a walk yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it, it's true, it, uh, sitting at the the number of times before I started thinking about it like that, I'd be sat at the computer going, oh, no, I've got to get this out, I've got to get this out. And then I'd force myself to stop and go for a walk. And then I'd come back and realise I didn't have to do any of that anyway. There was a much quicker solution. <laughs> and I saved myself buckets of time. And, um, yeah, so the opposite effect of what you'd think. Mm-hmm. But also uh, more family time. So I have a son, he's four, and I really like seeing him in the morning and um at tea time and not having to come home I mean not not feeling like I'm stuck in traffic on the commute when I want to be with him or that sort of thing um uh, and and definitely when I he was very tiny I was able to run my business around looking after him so that made life a lot easier is that because of the remote working yeah it makes a huge difference because I could just be sat there breastfeeding uh, which you can't do in an office, um, mm-hmm. and you know I could be sketching at the same time. I could take him for walks when he'd fall asleep, and I'd have client phone calls and things. You can't do that when you're in an office, and or if you have to have a commute. Um, yeah, so it, I, I think it only really works that kind of thing if you can work from home some of the week yeah. at least. Is there um like so, sorry I'm sort of skipping back a bit, but um, <laughs> is there like the impression i get is there's a culture of of working too much or too long hours in the sort of architecture world and i uh, i certainly know from friends who are architects that that's sort of instilled from the from the very beginning of the training yeah on my um before i even started the course properly i did interior architecture as a degree and then i switched to architecture later but um 
they caught I said oh I quite like on a Wednesday afternoon like the rest of the university shuts down for sport and I quite like to join in with something I'm not sure what yet maybe water polo but um, and he said, oh, previous students have found that really hard. Like They might have done it for a bit and then they've had to give up because architecture is all-encompassing and mm. pe- people find it really hard to fit in anything else. And I thought, crumbs, that sounds awful. And I couldn't um, necessarily fit in that Wednesday afternoon because that clashed with other things, but I did consistently do sport all the way through. Mm. And I found it helped me the, the opposite of um, what that course director had said. So I think sometimes it's it's a mindset thing. It's not. Um, it doesn't have to be true just because somebody says that. I found it made me more efficient and definitely more healthy, and gave me more energy and more ideas, and all of which benefited the the what I produced. And I got really good grades at the end. So <laughs> I, you know, win win. <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah it's still i I think university because of the mental health issues universities are doing a lot now you know brooks where i work stopped their um did work so sorry um stopped their um 24-hour card for students because it's supposed to show that we don't want you coming in at three in the morning (laughs) as in like an access card yeah right um I don't. I don't know how long that continued, um, or whether it worked. But um, that that was an intention to help reduce this idea. So I, I do think it's changing definitely. And universities are really—they're not saying what that course director said to me anymore. Mm-hmm. They're saying the opposite. Like I hear it all the time: "Go for a walk, for goodness' sake! <laughs> <laughs> Get away from your screen!" And you know, oh, and some of the students I used to teach—they were so super talented and would almost have nervous breakdowns one of them I was really worried about and it it just gets into a very negative cycle where you end up working later and later and then seeing people less and less and having even less sleep and so you're socially isolating yourself as well as being deeply unhealthy uh, food and um, sleep and all the rest no exercise and um, it's just so bad for you Uh, it's so important that interaction with other students remember when I used to share a house, we used to all, you know, watch rubbish telly together and share meals and that stuff is so important. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. So that, that was, that was worrying, but he, he, you know, he came out of it and other students have come out of it. Um, but it's, it's worrying. It had to get to that point. Yes. This all sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I, especially, I, you know, I've been self-employed for, for a long time and, uh, it was only when I started working for, well, I worked in a workshop for a year um, making furniture and I was blown away the idea that you could, if you weren't finished just before five o'clock, you just put your tools away and went home and then you did the work in the morning. That was just a shocker to me <laughs> that, that I didn't have to just slave away all the time. Um, and yeah, um, it's why I think it's why you're when i saw your book i just like you know really wanted to talk to you because on just a personal level i find that the work-life balance thing so difficult and i think it was definitely instilled in that that uh sort of university time yeah yeah there's there's still i don't know maybe it's also my time in um when i lived in germany and they're a bit french in there i mean they don't have their big long lunches like the french do but 
They're, mm-hmm. they're much more like this is when I work and this is my playtime. And they have much more focus on the separation. And or they did then, it might have changed now. This was uh, 2004. Um, but yeah, and they, they have more back holidays. And it was a real culture of just being focused on work when you're there and then you can have all your playtime and people would just literally leave at five o'clock all the time there was just wasn't the long hours culture that you have in Britain even within architecture so that was also a wake-up call because you know nobody thinks of the Germans having poor output (laughs) no no the opposite (laughs) yeah yeah so I I just thought "Mm, there's something something missing in Britain uh, on that front because um, it's not just the architecture world, it's it's other ones too. Uh, um, and, and also, I, th- I think some of it comes a bit from less than great business models where you're relying on free overtime to make, mm. to make that fee work. And, you know, the, the race to the bottom of the fees is, is really a big problem in architecture. And I've managed to get around that by demonstrating value more clearly to clients instead of assuming that they're going to understand what an architect does, I assume that they haven't got a clue. And, uh, you know, it's taken me years to, to get to this point. Um, and it's a constant tweaking and tweaking because you don't always want to stay in the same place. You're uh, sometimes trying to attract a different market. Yeah, but the, the aim is to sh- show that you get what they need and, and then how you're going to offer it to them and make it super clear and, and, and also niching because the more you niche, the more work you get and the more people realise they're in the right place and this is who they want to work with. Um, And also from our perspective on the inside, we get better and better at doing that thing Um, and really enjoy being better at doing that thing. It's, it's a really nice feeling. And that, and that means we, you know, with our business model, we can charge more because we are better at doing that thing. And the client understands that and, yeah, and then we don't need to, um, you know, nobody works unpaid overtime. Is there a concern about being pigeonholed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and that can happen. Like within practice, um, it happened to a colleague of mine. He was really good at feasibility studies and ended up just doing that. And even though he was older than me, had had very little site experience, whereas I was much younger and running three jobs on site simultaneously. Uh, um, so we swapped. <laughs> Uh, um, and if you have an open-minded sort of practice, they'll let you do that because it's all about growth, personal growth, and they want to retain good quality staff and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So within practice, there is that that worry. But also, I get that from business owners as well. They want to demonstrate that they can do everything and um, they don't want to nail themselves down to one thing because they're worried about something really exciting going in a different direction. But actually, if you're the potential client and I mean, we do this when we go onto Google ourselves. We're looking for a very specific thing. And if we go into a website that offers maybe that, but also six other things, we're like, mm, are we quite in the right place? I'm not sure. But if it, if we get arrive on the website that has the thing that we want and it makes sense <laughs> um, and it's saying the th- you know what we want and um, how we want to get there and that kind of thing, then they know they're in the right place and that's 90% of your marketing or, you know, your sales conversion done already. Yeah. Um, then all you have to, you know, they're already fairly convinced and all you have to do is turn up and represent that, which is easy if you've written it yourself anyway and you've employed people who share those values and want to do that same stuff. 
so this this sort of comes from a personal place like both i've got two older brothers and both of them from very early teenage years knew exactly what they wanted to do and they went and did it and then i came along and thought well i like making things and didn't have any more sort of idea than that and so for me to find my niche has involved a lot of kind of bouncing around and trying things and you know realizing what doesn't work to actually find what does work have you got any sort of tips on on how to how to sort of zone in on your your niche in a bit bit more bit more sort of structured way i guess yeah um I, I mean i did a bit of meandering as well um you know i worked on all those different projects at that previous practice and really enjoyed it uh and it is hard to find that thing but i for me, i think the and I still use this now because uh, I'm going off in slightly different directions now. But it's the thing that makes you really excited. If there's something, even if you don't yet quite know what it's going to become, um, just keep nurturing it and exploring it and writing about it. Or, you know, some people don't like writing. So whatever it is that you do <laughs> to explore that further, um, then uh, you'll find it. And And a lot of the things I've done have been, just about oh god I'm so excited about that and I just keep going to events about that and uh, reading about that and uh, and then eventually I go oh right this is the thing and because something else comes up and it connects uh, and then it makes sense but uh, I mean I arrived at barn conversion just because I'm a father's daughter (laughs) I love being outside in fields Uh, I understand um old farm buildings and how they should be and and it really tied in with my research that I'd done about uh, rural vernacular and how how buildings fit in the countryside and and there's a useful diagram as well called ikigai which is a Japanese word and which I've forgotten what it means but um you basically have a three circles and it's like what you love uh, what people will pay you for and what you're good at and the thing in the middle is the gold <laughs> right oh nice yeah yeah it's uh it's um it's, so that's quite helpful to sort of streamline your thinking if if you're struggling a bit and sometimes it's like smack in your face like i've um gone into garden design more recently uh that came up in the ikigai but i ignored it <laughs> right because I, I wasn't ready at that point but it um yeah, so sometimes it, it it's not the right time, and that you know, for whatever reason, but it it, it is right. <laughs> it, <laughs> it does, yeah, and um, and now I'm really enjoying doing that. So, so so, what about other other tips for kind of systems and efficiencies? Um, I know you wrote about routine. So I think when you're working from home, it can be quite difficult to get into routine well everybody knows this now post-covid mm. but, um so i had to de- develop my own sort of commute <laughs> right and things like that and that, some business coaches call it priming the brain uh ready for work and you know i do fight with myself sometimes when i get up and go, mm. yeah, um uh so i find that um you know, your brain fills up with your to-do list. I start panicking about things. Um, I get anxious about stuff that really doesn't matter. Um, part of it is just waking up. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but it's also because I'm working by myself. And I do think some of that is mitigated by that um, initial sort of coffee water cooler chat that you have in an office. Yeah. So to override that, I um, 
do a combination of things or just choose one of them, which is go for a walk to a cheerful podcast. Nothing too serious. It has to be cheerful. And I, I have tried meditation and just listen to the birds and stuff. And I do do that in, in short bursts. But I find my mind fills too easily with my to-do list and it's just a pain. <laughs> so the cheerful podcast overrides that and um, that really helps. And I also do a thing from um, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way, which is the morning pages, which Tim Ferriss okay. talks about doing as well. Um, so it depends. I don't I do not do both very often. I usually do one or the other, but um, both seem to help <laughs> um, get my brain in the right mode and then and then i can just crack on so th- that that's your sort of morning morning routine and then i mean one of the the I guess the luxuries of of working from home is that it doesn't have to be the morning it can be elsewhere in the day and what yeah. do you find works for you i'm sort of a middle of the road person really um mornings are more productive i have a bit of a dip in lunch post-lunch uh-huh. Uh, all around lunch and um and then i pick up again late afternoon sort of three o'clock onwards so yeah that that's you know since having a four-year-old tea time is nicely in that extra productive time uh so that that's just you know had to go <laughs> for a mm-hmm. bit but i did find that a useful little bit of time beforehand so i often do things like um prep up the slow cooker in the morning or at lunchtime uh so i have a bit more of that extra productive time before tea uh yeah whereas people who um work with me they're more evening people or they're more early birds um so that's the nice thing about flexible working so we tend to just all convene in the middle of the day at some point (laughs) on slack the the overlap bit yeah yeah you know it does mean that you know i have a colleague who works in the evening because it suits her around the small children which means that her questions come overnight, which I I don't look at because I turn all my notifications off. I'm very strict about that. Mm. Um, and but then I'll respond the next day, and then she she'll have that for the next thing. Um, but there's a bit in the middle of the day when when it, there's direct conversation going on, which works also. So it we yeah we just make it work between us. Um, but it's important. That we, it's it's really important to me. I said you know all my colleagues turn their notifications off. <laughs> yeah at the times they're not working because otherwise it's just ping 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 all the time isn't it um you can't focus on anything um and it leaks into your um your uh play time or your home time yes yeah i definitely feel that i sh- i could be uh better at, at turning off notifications because yeah i it, if i get a notification it takes me out of you know my my free time but also it quite often won't get dealt with I sort of categorize it in my head as done because it's it's coming at an off time, and if I just left it or never knew about it until I was next next working, I'd I'd be able to do it there and then. Yeah, I, I've had some really painful weekends when I've looked at I've accidentally with quote mm-hmm. <laughs> quote marks <laughs> looked at my email on a Saturday morning, and there's uh, you know because clients have more time at the weekend, so they will often email you at the the weekend or evenings, and um. Uh, you know, and then that's ruined my whole weekend because I'm thinking yeah. about that problem, whatever it is. And I can't actually do anything about it really until Monday because the engineers are closed or something, you know, the builder, whatever, isn't available. So it's just total pointless angst. <laughs> 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 and it's taken me a while. To, uh, I suppose the past couple of years I've been really good at not doing that. And my life is way better. <laughs> 
just the stress it's it's so horrible yeah and you know the problems still get solved in the same amount of time nothing changes on that front it's just my stress is like less than half we'll be back after a quick break hey there i'm mick from the mick and pat show that's right and i'm pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends well you're in luck we're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary discuss culture and politics and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews but it's not just about us we're a community our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, which which means that when you do come to solve it, you're, you're better anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is, it is a um, discipline <laughs> not to check your emails. And, and part of that, I, I suppose... Part of that has helped with um, having things to do with my son on like on Saturday morning, take him swimming and things like that. So, but but even before that, I'd be like, no, I'm going to the allotment. <laughs> I'm I'm going for a run. I'm I'm going out with friends. Uh, it's good actually to do things with other people because then you can't be distracted by your emails because it's just mm-hmm. rude if you're looking at your phone and you're with your friends. So you don't do it. You have like sort of accountability to to being there with them. Yeah. Yeah, so I find things like that help. And a business coach I work with um, also said, like, imagine the things you could be doing if you weren't solving that annoying problem at the wrong time anyway. Like all the, you know, the lovely things. And and that's a real motivator too. Yeah, rather than a moving away from, it's like moving towards. Yes. So that that's a good example of, of setting boundaries, um, sort of boundaries between work and, and life. Uh, are, there, are there any other uh, tips you've got on that? I, I'd say also it's about training clients not to expect things at the wrong times. Like if you answer their emails at weekends or in the evenings, they'll go, oh, Claire's around at that time. I will keep doing that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you just have to – and actually in our, in our welcome pack when we say to clients, we're, it says in it we don't work at weekends and in evenings. Um, even though I know some of my team do work in evenings, that doesn't mean – it's expected it's you know it's up to them um to set to set that um so and they yeah they wouldn't normally do client interaction it would be literally just getting on with the the thing when their kids are asleep that kind of (laughs) thing um so yeah and that works really well um and people respect that they they want you to have a good life (laughs) they don't expect you to be on the demand all the time it, it, and that's never caused me any problems. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's just setting your own boundaries and having the confidence to stick to it as well. Which is also, I suppose, with everything really, it's the it's knowing what the benefit is by doing that. This is the massive benefit that I'm going to get, and then that's very motivating. Yeah. Yes. Positive reinforcement. I think. That's yeah. Good. Nice. There's there's a, uh, a chapter in your book. Um, I think titled is it the mistakes mistakes yeah. i've made or yeah well, loads of mistakes <laughs> is there is there a good example in there that uh, we can talk about uh i think um this is a very common business owner one anyway i think which is at the beginning you do have to do everything yourself because you have to um and it's good uh, to do that because you need to know how everything works before you start delegating um otherwise you won't be able to spot when things aren't 
you know things aren't working as well as they should and um that sort of thing but um but there's there's a line between doing it all and doing way too much and um you can't it's impossible to be good at all of the things um and the less you do the better really um but in the early stages there isn't enough cash for that because you're just setting up and stuff but um so the one of my bigger mistakes was um when I had my son um I'd previously built the website and um maintained it and done everything and then of course when my son came I was very focused on making sure architectural clients were still happy and my team was still supported um but I neglected the website a bit um and uh so I didn't noticed two quite crucial things which meant that the website got very very slow and our inquiries just dropped off a cliff and so then I had to um put my staff on reduced hours some of them and uh, we we discussed it all between us and so the people who really needed the work kept the work but other people had other projects like either study or research or other things that um that worked I mean I was fortunate also it was around study deadline time so actually all a couple of students that I employed really didn't want to be working anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> so um but and but I felt absolutely dreadful because you know I'm I'm responsible for paying them and um uh but it was just two months and uh I rebuilt the website over a period of time not literally in those two months I went out networking and uh, because that's more instant and rewrote offers so that it was more attractive and got the cash flow moving faster and yeah rebuilt the website so it worked better um but I was like this can't happen again so now I have a website person because <laughs> I quite enjoy uh website design and building and I love writing the stuff and having the flexibility to just be able to go oh I want to write a blog and just plonk it up and then done and um I was worried someone would take that away from me but actually that's not true uh, that you know it 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 varies on who you work with I think but it's very easy to find a web designer who will let you have quite a lot of control still but will do all of the maintenance and ensure mm-hmm. it stays really good and add all of their expertise which of course I didn't have I'm not a trained website designer <laughs> I'm an architect <laughs> so, uh, yeah so that, that was a big mistake but you know in the end it, it worked out and mm-hmm. I did develop really brilliant cash flow systems <laughs> because of that, because <laughs> I had to. <laughs> That's brilliant. Okay, well, I'm conscious of the time. Is there, some, is there anything you want to say more about uh, work-life balance? I, I, think, I think with work-life balance, it's, um, it's never perfect all the time. That's what, that's what I've learned. Uh, um, and not to beat yourself up about that. I mean, sometimes you just slip off the wagon a bit and get into some unhealthy practices the the point is if you've got the tools to bring yourself out of it quickly then it's it you do it less far less Mm -hmm. and um and life is better as a result (laughs) but it's always a learning thing you know it's never going to be perfect but i feel like it's it's a nice place to be at the moment oh well that's that's very pleasing to hear um (laughs) yeah well i know i know so many people running businesses that are just overworked and, and underpaid and underappreciated. Um, yeah. So nice to know that it can be done. Yep, it definitely can be done. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Excellent. Thank you, Claire. Uh, Really, really nice to hear about the ways that we can just get better at being business people. Um, I'm not an architect, but I have taken so much from that, especially around the boundaries. Uh, I am terrible for looking at my phone all the time. And I always see those emails come in and they're always putting me on edge and stopping me from relaxing. And they've just got to stop, haven't they? Well, tomorrow is going to be a new chapter in my life. As always, uh, check out the show notes. Uh, There are a few links uh, to Claire's work, uh, Claire's books, um, and also a couple of the books that are mentioned, uh, The E-Myth and The Artist's Way. I don't know if you could hear, I tried to edit them all out, but my stomach was growling through that. Uh, hopefully I managed to edit them all out. But if you did hear one, apologies. Um, I also nearly edited out a moment when I I started to say I should and I replaced it with could, uh, which is a thing. I don't think I've talked about this. Maybe I have. Uh, but it's a thing I try to do to be nice to myself. Um, the idea being that if I say I should have done that, it takes out any of the choice and there's only one answer and that's the right answer. But actually, if you say I could have done that, you're opening up all the possibilities and, and just being a lot, a lot friendlier to yourself, accepting that there's many possibilities and many, many ways to do a thing. Um, so I left that in, uh, maybe in the hope that you might do the same and be nice to yourself because I'm really needing to be nice to myself at the moment. Um, I had a little rant at the end of uh, one of the last episodes and it made uh, one of the listeners cry. So I'm definitely not going to do that again. Instead, I'm just going to end by saying I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Roll straight on to episode 81 and you get more of the wonderful Claire Nash, uh, this time talking about contemporary vernacular design, how British housing can rediscover its soul. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.